0: My name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City, and I'm not as tall as Helen, so I'm going to reduce a little bit here. Don't have, don't have your stature, so I have to kind of push this down miles and miles before I can see things appear from over the top of the stand. Um, it's, uh, it's summer, so it's time for a bit of a holiday story to start, and it starts with what I think is probably the most impressive parking that I've done in my entire life. See, we as a family, we were visiting um, Athens, and um, since we are a reasonably sized family, we were driving around Athens in this kind of monster truck, essentially, well, like a minivan type thing, and uh, it, quite a big van. And As it turns out, Athens is the sort of city that is not designed for big vans. It's designed for micro, tiny, teeny cars that fit inside everything, and so we were going to go. We've well, been into Athens one day to see the Parthenon, that got kind of a big, famous thing on top of the hill. We're going back in again to try and see the Agora, the marketplace where the philosophers um, debated. And we'd driven into Athens about as far as you could reasonably get in a a big van, and we spotted this um, parking garage here. And uh, only it turned out not really to be a parking garage, but like a tiny aperture into an alternate underground world of like absolutely minimal dimension, not designed for vehicles of the size at all. But, and I am rather impressed with this, I was uh, able to get parked in a space about two millimeters bigger than the car. Here's the evidence. This is, this is how we had to park in order for people to get around us. So, you know, everyone has to get out the other door, and it's things like that. Uh, how's that for parking, right? And, anyhow, here, here's the thing. Um, that's, that wasn't important. I just wanted to show you the parking. um <clears throat> Uh, Anyway, the the, the Agora wasn't far away, so we picked out Google Maps and we said, what's the walking route to the Agora? And here's the walking route it suggests. That looks very reasonable. 25 minutes, uh, uh, a nice 25 minutes walk through Athens to get a feel for the place. I mean, it turns out this walking route takes you through. Like, the seediest part of Athens in the entire world. It's like a post-apocalyptic place in there. Like, here's what some of the streets look like that we were walking through. And here we are just casually walking along as a family, and things get seedier and seedier and seedier. There, there are people, like, literally shooting drugs into their arms by the side of the street, you know, going to the toilet in the street next to us, and we're just, like, trying to walk down like nothing's happening as a family. We're like, da, 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 da da we always walk past things like this. It's no issue for us at all. You know, Put your phones away, everyone. Let's put the smaller children in the middle of the party. I always walk very fast, don't you? Yes, we always walk very fast. We, we, we survived. It was, it was the sort of trip that my children are not uh, keen on repeating. But you know what happened? We got to the Agora, and it was closed. <laughs> We're like five minutes late. And I was like, no, can't go in there. That's, that's it. So... Uh, But uh, we walked back a different route. You'll be pleased to hear. Actually, just like one block across is like this main shopping street, and it's lovely, and it's completely fine. All calm, all normal Athens. (sighs) It's a bit scary, really, thinking about what I nearly walked us into by listening to the wrong guide, by following Google Maps. My point with this... Ever worried about whether you're headed in the right direction? Ever worried about whether you're being led in the right direction or not? Whether the guide you're following is really going to take you in the right way? What, What about when it comes to faith? Ever worried that the people who are guiding you, leading you in faith, ever worried that they're not the right people to follow? Ever worried that you're paying attention to the wrong people? How do you know who to listen to? How, how do you know who to pay attention to? Is it people who are popular? Uh, who has the most followers already? Well, Jesus has something to say to us on this topic today. And we're coming to the close of Jesus's famous block of teaching, often called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been thinking about this whole thing as Jesus's, where are we? Jesus's blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. Now, Jesus closes out this blueprint with a series of two-way divisions, one after the other. So last week, Pat helped us think about two paths, the narrow path and the wide path that leads to destruction. This week, we're going to be about two kinds of prophets. Next week, we've got two kinds of followers. The week after that, we've got two builders and two houses. Lots and lots of twos, lots and lots of divisions, lots and lots of separations. So this week, We're thinking about how do you stay on the narrow path? How do you know you're not on the wide path? We're thinking about two guides. Who's going to guide you into destruction? Who's going to guide you into the narrow path? And um, Joe is going to come and read for us this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 15. Matthew 7 and verse 15, and that is page 972 in the Blue Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Thanks, Joe. Now, as you might know, sometimes preachers like a little bit of alliteration, starting things with the same letter. And I don't know what was going on this week, but I had an aha moment. It just totally worked for me. And so this is what we're thinking about today. We're thinking about how fruit... Flags, false furries, fancying, feeding ferociously, facing final fire. Okay, so that, that's what's coming up this week. Free flags, false furries, fancying, feeding ferociously, facing final fire. Doesn't that roll off the tongue? And you'll be pleased to know I've got 15 minutes on each F, so <laughs> it's going to work really well. We need to zoom in on a bunch of the key words here, key terms, so we can make sure we understand rightly what Jesus is telling us. And it's important we get this because remember, last week Pat was telling us two paths a narrow way that leads to life, a wide way that leads to destruction. And Jesus tells us as he finishes up this long teaching moment, this extended set of teaching, he finishes up with a critical warning Watch out, he says. Watch out. Keep alert. Be on your guard. And what are we meant to watch out for? Well, it's a command. Uh, It's an imperative. It's not just like a suggestion or an idea. So we're going to talk about what we should watch out for, why we should watch out for it, and then how we're going to spot it. So let's start with what we're watching out for, and it's quite simply false prophets. We're going to keep on watching out for false prophets, but we're going to unpack that just a little bit so we don't miss the full breadth of Jesus's warning here. What's a, a prophet, like a prophet kaching? No, no. Let's start with what these false prophets are. The word prophet is most commonly used in Matthew's gospel, the kind of biography of Jesus that we're working through, when the author demonstrates what's been foretold. His coming to pass in Jesus. So, for example, right back in the opening chapter, you get this in Matthew 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that sort of phrase, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, comes up again and again in Matthew's gospel. And this pattern of somebody called a prophet foretelling what will happen in the future continues into the life of the earliest church as well as it's recorded for us in the Bible. For example, um, there's a guy, a prophet called Agabus in the New Testament. You can read about him in the book of Acts. And he tells people these things are gonna happen in the future and then they go on to to happen. I guess the first thing to say here is when God says we are to watch out for false prophets, when Jesus warns us we have gotta watch out for false prophets, that does imply there are true prophets as well. Okay, because otherwise he'd say, watch out for prophets, because they're all bad. Don't listen to anyone. But he says, watch out for false prophets. So it has that kind of counterpoint implication. Um, But before we conclude, this is just about people telling the future. This is just about the sort of prophet who will tell you what's coming down the line. We should notice Jesus himself is called a prophet. Repeatedly, he's thought of as a prophet by the people. Here you go on Matthew 16. Who do people say, I am, Jesus asks his disciples. Well, they say some says John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah. So Elijah and Jeremiah, both examples of prophets from the Old Testament. Or one of the other prophets. They, the, the people at large think Jesus is a prophet. That's how they think of him. But Jesus wasn't primarily kind of foretelling. Here's another example. Um, the crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is when Jesus is in Jerusalem, getting close to his death. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's who everyone thinks Jesus is. He's a, he's a prophet. That's the term they're using to describe the sort of person Jesus is. And in fact, this is how Jesus describes himself too. When he's reflecting on how his hometown rejects him after he visits them, they take offense at him. Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own home. And so Jesus himself categorizes himself as a prophet. When he's arguing with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, he positions himself as a a prophet again there. He says, look, you testify against yourselves that you're the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and complete what your ancestors started. He means, go ahead, kill another prophet. Kill me, a prophet. So Jesus is categorizing himself as a prophet as well. So we've got to stretch our understanding of what prophet means a little bit. Foretelling for sure, absolutely, in context, that is definitely what the word is used for. But the word can also mean forthtelling, right? Speaking from God, speaking for God, on behalf of God, to his people. Now, Jesus warns his prophets, uh, His followers to be on the lookout for false prophets. Or oh, I'm going to use this term, false guides. Maybe as a wider way of thinking about that, people falsely claiming to speak on behalf of God. That's what we're looking for. Okay, so that's our what, then we've got the why and the how, okay? Jesus' answer, why you should look out for these, is simple. He says, inside they are ferocious wolves. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And what does he mean by that? Well, Sorry to vegans and the squeamish, but wolves are not trying to sneak in among the sheep because they are feeling cold or, you know, they're feeling like a bit of peer pressure and they wish they could just fit in and be a part of the flock. It's not the melodious bar-bar that the sheep um, are really drawing the wolves in with. Wolves eat sheep. They eat them without even barbecuing them first, which is hard to get your head around. They consume the sheep, right? They consume sheep to satisfy their own desires. They'd get fat off of eating sheep if they could. Now, if you're thinking about false prophets, if you're thinking about false guides here, what does that picture look like in practice, right? Coming in wanting to consume people. Satisfying your own desires. They'd be more interested in satisfying their own desires and hungers than in serving the people around them. Actually, they got no interest in serving the people around them apart from fattening them up to make them tastier to eat. What does it look like? Perhaps it looks like uh, seeking significance, desiring popularity and using the crowd just in order to be someone rather than nobody, to make a name for yourself, to get your name on the cover of a book to get invited to the right conferences. Or perhaps the hunger could be for power, right? Desiring people who will listen to them that they can kind of control, they can manipulate. Think of some of the horrific abuse scandals within the church. Stories we know look like this and there'll be many stories untold that have the same pattern. Perhaps they're just in it for the money. Now, in the UK, for the avoidance of doubt, ministry is not particularly lucrative. So there aren't that many people. Uh, The church is rarely somewhere to get rich. Our numbers are all public. If you want to check our numbers, you can see what we do with your money. Um, But that's not true everywhere, right? There are definitely pastors with private jets. That seems odd. There are definitely pastors who even make the richest people in the country lists in some places. Now, what's the common factor? Ferocious wolves destroy the sheep, satisfy themselves. Destroy the sheep, feed their own desires. That's why we should watch out, right? These false prophets, these false guides would gladly see you destroyed to meet their needs, to satisfy their desires. Okay, with me so far? This is fairly straightforward, I think. Watch out for false guides. Jesus says they'll lead you into destruction now, here's the kicker. We need to watch out for them because they're in disguise. They're in sheep's clothing, as Jesus puts it. They look like they belong in the fold. They look like they belong um, in the flock, in the family. Now, as you think about a wolf in sheep's clothing, perhaps you're thinking of something like this. I couldn't find a wolf in sheep's clothing. I got, I got a puppy in sheep's clothing instead, all right? But a wolf in sheep's clothing would look broadly like that, uh, like like. Try and picture, when I try and picture a wolf in sheep's clothing, I get kind of a Goldilocks fairy tale sort of vibe. It's like pretty darn obvious. It's only old grandma in the bed who can't figure out what's going on. Um, It seems like it'd be pretty obvious. But Jesus' teaching on how we are to identify false prophets here presupposes that it's not that obvious. Right, it presupposes that you can spot it at a glance in a moment. It's not simply going to be a case of looking for the sheep with gnashy, gnashy teeth and large, pointy ears. That's—it's not that easy. It's not a fake you could spot a mile off. And I think that's a bit of a problem for us, because uh, if we're honest, we'd like to believe we're rather smart. Many of us know our stuff. The chance of us being deceived? Hardly. How unlikely is that? We've got big brains. We're not about to get duped by a random text message telling us we've inherited a fortune in a foreign land from a prince. Just give us your bank details and we'll wire it over. So we're not about to be taken in by a false prophet or a false guide. We're not stupid. We'd see them coming. But when we think this couldn't possibly happen to us, that's exactly the point at which Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus is warning us, hey, you, you won't be able to tell sheep from wolf just by a glance. And maybe that might feel worrying. Well, hang on then. Who's the sheep? Maybe that might make us anxious. Have, Have we been taken in? Am I being taken in right now? Jesus doesn't tell us this in order to make us worried, in order to make us anxious. He doesn't tell us this to make us suspect every single sheep might be a fake and we need to go around kind of ear checking or we need a kind of wolf detector at the door of church. In fact, the passage is full of confidence. Jesus tells us twice, you will recognize them. You will recognize them. The surprise is how? It is by their fruit you'll recognize them. Now, Jesus says it twice. He underlines it. It's by their fruit. And this is not by breaking their code and unmasking their clever disguise, ripping off the disguise. He doesn't say, just look closer, check the mouth, look at the ears. Uh, But it's by their fruit. Here's the thing about trees. Anyone got a fruit tree in their garden? We got some little fruit trees in our garden, yeah. How, how quick does the fruit show up on your fruit tree? Like very, very slow, particularly this summer, right? Still, still coming. It's a slower business, identifying fruit. We'd like something quick. We'd like something instant. We want like a lateral flow but we get like a PCR or even worse than a PCR. We get like a four-week, a four-month, a six-month PCR. Fruit's a slower business, but the thing Jesus is telling us here is that fruit is an absolutely sure business. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Not just it's unlikely to or mostly, but it cannot. And a bad tree cannot bear fruit good fruit it can't be mistaken where obviously a sheep like outer experience uh, outer exterior can be mistaken fruit can't be hidden the fruit that grows is unavoidable it's an unavoidable consequence of the tree that grows it but it does take time that picture has time baked in Okay, so where have we gone so far? Watch out for what? False guides. Why? Because they'll lead you into destruction and to satisfy their own desires. How do you spot them? By their fruit. What grows out of them? But we need to do a little bit of thinking here about what Jesus means when he uses the picture of fruit, when he uses this word picture. And as I've read others thinking on this, I thought about it myself, there are two kind of major options. There are like 42,000 minor options, but two major options we should think about. With fruit, Jesus could be referring to their words, their teaching, what they say, things like that, or their actions their character, their behaviours, their words or their character. Let's take those two one at a time and think about which is the better option. First option, false guys can be recognised because of their false words, false teaching, false prophecies, false direction they give. Over in Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 6, if you want to take a closer look later, you get a very similar picture of good and bad trees. And in that case, the fruit is directly connected to speaking. For the mouth speaks... What well, the heart is full of, Jesus says, at the end of a section that looks an awful lot like what we read this morning. It's not exactly the same in the details, but it's got a lot of close parallels. Jesus tells us their words reveal what's going on inside the heart. The mouth speaks at the overflow of the heart. You can see people's heart through the words that come out. So that's a reasonable passage to connect, but a couple of challenges to that, right? First, what do you make of the, gut, the, the disguise being initially effective? And the fruit taking time to become apparent. If it's words, if it's teaching, how do you get that picture of delay? How would that work with false words? Maybe you could imagine they begin with true teaching and they gradually kind of drift off. And ultimately you get this false teaching over time. Or at first glance, what they're teaching seems to be sound. But when you zoom in on it and examine it carefully, you find that it has error. Now, if you add in the kind of organic connection that Jesus has here between the tree produces the fruit, right? Apple tree, apple fruit. Orange tree, orange fruit. Lime tree, saw a lime tree in our garden in Greece. It was cool. Lime fruit, as it turns out. Unsurprising. What do you make of the organic connection? Good trees cannot bear bad fruit. Bad trees cannot bear good fruit. It's not like you get some good with some bad mixed in. It's like totally one way or the other. All the fruit's bad because the tree is bad. How does that work if this is teaching? And third, Jesus isn't the only one to use a picture of fruit and trees, of cutting down and of destruction by fire. This echoes the language John the Baptist used for us in Matthew's gospel back in chapter three in three verse 10. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See all the connections there? Now, John the Baptist was talking about behavior, about actions. He says, repent. That is, change your direction, change your actions, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, it's unlikely. Jesus is using exactly the same picture. Trees, fruit, chop down, fire, and meaning something different from what John was meaning. So that's one option. Okay, could be the words, could be the teaching, could be the prophecies. Here's the other option for you, and I think this is the more likely one, actions. Actions which flow out of character, which flow out of heart. Actions which show whether it's a twisted heart, the one we were born with, or a transformed heart, the one Jesus is giving us. This would stack up with the whole pile of teaching we've just been working on, right? Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. We've been talking about the demands of the law, the way of the kingdom is beyond us. It requires a transformed heart for the way of the kingdom to grow out of it. We've just worked through months speaking about actions, a sort of life that evidences a transformed heart. Surely that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about actions that flow out of a heart that's increasingly turning away from. What did we read about? Anger, from hatred, from lust, from envy, from lies, from revenge, from hypocrisy, from judgmentalism. What's bad fruit look like? Well when things flow in the opposite direction, when you can see the overflow of an angry heart into hatred, the overflow of an envious heart, a lustful heart, the overflow of a judgmental or a hypocritical heart. Revenge writes the script. Judgment is the norm. I think the guide by which we are to recognize this fruit is the teaching Jesus has just finished. You want to know what good fruit looks like? He's just given us two chapters on what good fruit looks like. It's easy. Also fits in with a disguise you can't immediately see through, a wolf in sheep's clothing. We can put on a front, we can act, we can be a hypocrite on the outside for a while. Jesus lambasts the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they're hypocrites. They clean the outside of the cup, he says, but the inside is full of wickedness. But that ultimately always inevitably fails. Character always comes out, always shows through. In the end, the mask always drops. By your fruit, uh, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You will be able to recognize them. And God isn't fooled, Jesus says. Judgment lies ahead for these false guides. Cut down, thrown in the fire. There's no middle ground, no like, let's give it another year. Let's see if the fruit tends a little bit more positive. See if there are any good apples this time. Jesus doesn't get fooled by this. The Lord is not fooled by this. He doesn't want us to be fooled by it either, to go down with them, to be led into the broad path that leads to destruction that Pat was talking about last week. Now, our time's nearly gone, so we always have to ask the question, so what? Well, as we think about what this means for us, like, like ferocious wolves, false guides only want to satisfy themselves. They don't care if you are destroyed in the process. They don't care about the sheep. They want to eat the sheep. So don't be a fool. Don't presume you're safe. Don't presume you could spot them a mile off. Believe Jesus when he says their disguise could have you fooled. So I think the first application here is watch out. Don't think you're too clever for this. Don't think the people around you are too solid for this. This could never happen to you. It's not a suggestion. This is Jesus' command. You must protect yourself. But also, we should believe Jesus when he tells us that we can. A good tree cannot produce. Bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Jesus is inviting us. He is commanding us to test, to taste, to see what really grows out of people's hearts, to use what grows out as a window to what's within, to see whether Jesus is transforming that, to look for fruit. It invariably comes. So be wary when that's simply not possible. I guess I would say here the internet is a, it's a wild west. Be cautious of what you find there, particularly if you find it without people attached. How could you possibly examine the fruit? Would you trust a message with no sender, no source? Well, a post you find on the internet with a name you know nothing about is a little better. When you can't see the fruit, there's no way to run Jesus' test. So remember, they could be a false guide for all the appearance. And be wary when somebody is too big a name. They're such a big name that you could really ever know them or have a real chance of seeing the fruit of their life. They could be a false guide. Be doubly wary if you come across someone who won't let you get close enough to figure out the sort of fruit that they are bearing. If someone only ever appears on a big stage, speaks and then rushes off, how could you ever tell? How could you watch out like Jesus commands you to? But there's one more thing to say here before we're done. And if you're worried you've been led astray by false guides, if you don't know where to turn, if this is always kind of disturbing, there's one place that's always safer, always sure, right? There's one place where you can always see good fruit in abundance. And that is Jesus, the true prophet, the true guide. You can taste his fruit because you can follow the life of Jesus through the Bible, through the Gospels that tell his story. You can see his character. You can see his actions. You can see into his art. You can know that he is true, and you can trust he'll lead you into the right path. You can't go wrong with Jesus. Now, does this mean, I guess I'm someone standing up here at the front, does this mean you should wonder about me? Yeah, absolutely, this means you should wonder about me. Does it mean that you could tell at a glance whether I'm a good apple or a bad apple? No, you couldn't tell at a glance, you need to look for fruit. That's true, people at the front, but it's true on every smaller scale as well. We don't just follow people at the front, we follow one another in the small things of life. So it's a great encouragement to get connected, to get to know one another to be able to see the fruit in each other's lives and to know whether there's somebody worth following, whether they're a true guide or not. It's a strange thing to talk about, but it's one of the great things of following through the scriptures in order. We get to talk about what Jesus talks about. He sets the agenda. This is his agenda for today, so we're trusting that this is something he wants us to hear, uh, to think about and to consider. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and then John's gonna help us by singing us a song that calls us to look at Jesus, to see Jesus' character, his heart, and wants to come out of that knowing we can trust him and his words are sure he's the true guide. Let's pray. Father God, we just love this not to be true and uh, not to be something that we need to think about or worry about. But you've warned us. uh, And you didn't warn us for no reason. Uh, You warned us because there will be wolves. Sneaking in. Looking to draw people after themselves, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. Looking to disguise themselves. There might be some here among us now we wouldn't even know. Oh Lord, help us to watch out and not be fooled. Help us to examine the fruit. To be serious about that. Help us not to be led away from the narrow path and towards destruction. Protect us, we pray. Thank you that we have a true prophet, that we can follow with no fear, with total confidence as we see the fruit of the obedience in Jesus' life. Lord, help us to look to Jesus, follow him. Amen. Jesus says, "I am the vine you are the." Bread.